Welcome, everybody, into another episode of The Damn Podcast with your hosts, Marcus Greaves and Angie Machado. Unfortunately, Angie decided to uh, go on vacation, leaves me all alone to do this by myself. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, On this episode, we'll have Amy Schwartz on, who is the Beaver Blitz uh, reporter. She is just going to kind of talk to us about her thoughts on the game, and then she wrote a good story about uh, Jamar Jefferson, the freshman running back, and... Uh, she kind of just joins the show to talk about that. I thought it was a great article that she wrote on him. Um, but I'm just going to dive right into the game because I know that's what we're all waiting for. Uh, I thought the game actually went a lot better than I expected. I predicted, a, I think I predicted a pretty big beat down, but it wasn't. It was actually a really good game. Uh, you know, it was offensively, I thought they looked extremely good. They opened up the playbook. They, you know, Coach Smith took a lot of chances on fourth down, which I really like to see. Kind of when you're a struggling team, you need to do things like that and be aggressive. But uh, I think the biggest thing for Oregon State, and I don't want to go quarter by quarter, but I just uh, wrote down some notes about the game when I was there. But let's not take it away. The defense needs to find a way, and I'm talking needs to find a way, way, whether it's the coaches or the players. I know we've kind of been going back and forth of – not really whose fault it is, but who needs to step up more. But, uh, you know, Washington State came out, first thing, three plays for 75 yards and a touchdown, right? That's obviously unacceptable. Oregon State came out, and they were all sorts of slow, right? They didn't really – it looked like they were really lost. They, You know, the pregame hype was maybe still there, and then they just came out, and they weren't ready. But, yeah, three plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown for Washington State. And then – Right after that, well, I, I guess I should say not right after that, but the biggest problem for me was, and I get it, you know, it's the first kind of series, so you got to feel each other out or whatever it is, but, you know, Oregon State only rushed four, right? And then they dropped back into a zone, and that's kind of what I was saying was you have to get some pressure on Washington State. Obviously, they're a passing team, so if you don't get to the quarterback, he's going to have all day in the pocket. He's going to sit back. And even if Oregon State has great coverage most of the time, it's just too hard for whether it's linebackers or DBs to be covering someone that long because obviously it's a game of, right, like the wide receiver can run anywhere he wants. He just has to get open. Then you're a DB trying to follow him. It just doesn't work. But, um, yeah, so that happened, came out, got, you know, hit in the mouth, 7 nothing, And then Oregon State comes out, goes 3 and out. And then they go to punt. They get a block punt. Washington State recovers in the end zone, and then it's 14 nothing with, like, two minutes off the clock. And right after that, I was like, all right, like, is it time for me to pack my bags and go? Right? I was thinking, like, how am I going to talk about this on the podcast? I keep telling people that they're going to be better. They're, you know, they are better. They have good athletes, and then they go down 14 nothing. I was thinking that my spot on the podcast is probably gone because nobody's going to listen anymore. But then Oregon State actually came out. They responded with a – you know they had a they had a really big drive and they responded. Uh, they scored on like a it was they went seventy five yards. Um, they answered on a fourth down, a big fourth down that Oregon State had, but just that kind of stuff right there. The the like they can respond to adversity and that's why I like to see and I like Coach Smith's mentality because let's be you know like I like like I always say like if we seen that last year right they go down fourteen nothing. They are not, and I mean not coming back like at all. Like it's it's basically game over. I think they score maybe seven points then. So then the score would probably be like Washington State at the end of the game, forty eight to seven or forty eight to three or whatever it is. But 
they responded and they came out and I just really thought that they played extremely well offensively and in the first half, offensively and defensively, you know, there was a little, you know, there were some wrinkles in the scheme, but I thought they schemed pretty well and I thought they played really hard and, you know, I, like it was a it was an extremely close game going into the fourth quarter. And that's why I like to see Oregon State put themselves within striking distance. And that's why I always say if you're an underdog, you want to stay within striking distance. But, you know, they're, but you look at just Oregon State now and you look at the schemes and you look at everything that they're doing because, right, so they come out, they score, right? So now it's 14 to 7. Okay, now you're like, all right, let's go. You know, hopefully the defense can respond. And then what happens? Oregon State kicks an onside kick. And it was a, you know, it was a great scheme. I remember Coach uh, Cookus would always, you know, we'd always practice this, whether it was me, whether it was Andre, or whoever it was, where the kicker will kind of do like a little pooch kick to the sideline, and you're the bull on the outside on kickoff, and you're sprinting down, and they kick it just 10 yards, so you can obviously, you know, he pooches it right into your hand or right into your arm. So it was, I like the risk that they're taking, right? And I like that it's, it's more of we're not playing to not get blown out, we're playing to win. And you could see that they right, they had they had chances that they could have won the game, but they just didn't take him, right? And you know, I like saying this that Oregon State, they're they're good, right? They have the right schemes, they have the right mentality, I think. When it you know, when it comes down to it, you know, the guys that don't have the right mentality, they're not in the game. But when it comes down to it, the mentality that Oregon State has is we're we're coming to win now. And a good example is Coach Peterson. Back, uh, I would I want to say 2013, I think it was where maybe it was 2013, 2012. Whenever you took over at Washington, their first, their first season, like they lost to USC, and you know what he was saying was, we, you know, we schemed everything well. We played a great game, right? And we had some wrinkles, but what happened was USC just has better athletes than us right now, and. You know, Coach Peterson understood that and he knew that. And so that's where I, I want to kind of hit is Coach Smith has brought that kind of, right, they may have better athletes than us. And sometimes it's like that, right? They, you know, that's why you have your Alabamas, your Ohio States. Like, you could play a great game and still lose. Like, let's not, you know, let's not take it away. And I understand that there's times where the defense, right, looked bad and there's people tweeting the whole time like, wow, this defense is horrible. But you know, sometimes you're in the right place at the right time and you go to make the plays and you're just, you know, there's someone who's just a better athlete. And right now that's the case. You know, Washington State didn't always have the best athletes, but now they have pretty dang good athletes. There's a reason why they're, what, 4-1 and one or 5-1 and one or whatever they are, right? They're a good team. They should have beat USC. They should be undefeated right now. But they just have better athletes. And I think a lot of the teams in the Pac-12 right now just have better athletes. But that won't be long because once you get with the schemes that Oregon State has, right they have all the schemes they have all right the the mentality whatever it is but then now you just need the athletes or you just need the development and that's where it's going to come is coach smith is doing the right thing you know offensively and defensively i i really like what the coaches have done i really like the mentality that these players have but you know it's just a matter of time before we really see that okay here is a dominating win by Oregon State in the Pac-12. Or, okay, maybe they, they win on the road or whatever it is, right? But we can't – I always want to say – and Angie's not here, and I wish she was because it would make it a lot easier. But I want to say that maybe we can't get too greedy right now, right? And I think I said that in the last episode is just we see this 
we see sparks and we are like, okay, that's Oregon State football or that's what it used to be like. And we see these little sparks of, wow, that was a great play or wow, that was a good series or wow, that was a good quarter, right? And last year, I don't think we see that, right? We see maybe one to two big plays, but I know for a fact that I was like, this team is not good. Like, I did not like watching them. But I would get a watch, and now that I watch them, I see this, all right, well, that was a great quarter. That first quarter and second quarter, that was a that was a great half of football of Oregon State. The third quarter was pretty good, and the fourth quarter wasn't very good, right? But tell me the last time we saw that, like a complete, you know, okay, that first half was great. That was a great first half of football, right, besides the two starting plays. Okay, that was great. Then you go to the second quarter. Okay, then they respond, right? Unfortunately, Jamar Jefferson had that 70-yard run that was called back, but you see that kind of stuff, right? You see the special teams play. You see your your starters like Hamaka Rashid running down on kickoff, hitting guys, right? That's just mentality, right? So there's times where you just don't have the athletes, and I didn't want to get away from that. I apologize, but you just don't have the athletes. Like a good example is Caleb Hayes when he was guarding – uh, something Martin, he was number one for Washington State. And Washington State threw like a like a go route over the top. Caleb Hayes was in a in a great position. He was in an absolutely great position to make a play. And when he went to make that play, he was in great coverage, right? He had his hand up. He had everything he needed to do. But Washington State's receiver just made that play. That's kind of where they just have better athletes right now. And it'll, you know, and... I feel like Coach Smith is a very confident guy in what he is trying to do. And so he sees that and he's like, all right, like, yeah, that happens, right? It's it's football. These guys are young. My team is young. But give us next year. Give us time to get those transfers in. Give us time to get those new recruits in. Give us time to develop these guys. And we're going to be a good football team, right? And we're not going to keep having those plays where we're in the right spot, but we're not making the plays because we're they're just better athletes. And... Oregon State has great athletes, and, you know, let's not get that away. You know, Trayvon Bradford, I thought he went absolutely insane that game, right? And Timmy Hernandez, Timmy Hernandez isn't – he's not going to gash you with crazy speed and he's not going to, you know, wow you with his moves after he catches the ball. But you see some of those catches he's making, right? Those those where he's running maybe a a slant or maybe a post or whatever it is and or a drag route over the middle and – Connor Brown, uh, Brown, excuse me, Connor Blunt rolls out to the right. He throws a ball on the run, right, and it's behind Timmy. What does he do? He he can somehow stop running full speed, launch his body backwards, and make a great play, right? You see those kind of things. Like, there's good athletes on this team, especially, you know, offensively, they've just opened the playbook and they've understood their identity. And that's why, that's why I think it's good to see because last year we were either watching the offense was doing great but the def I mean excuse me it was the defense was doing great and the offense just stunk right or whatever it is vice versa but the defense is struggling you know, and I get that right like we see that kind of stuff and we see the struggles that they have at the defensive line and the, I don't think the linebackers have played as well as they should have but you just have piece by piece coming together now the wide receivers are are playing a lot better um, even with Isaiah Hodgins out, right, guys have to step up. You see something like that, and you see players like Timmy Hernandez stepping up there. You see players like Trayvon Bradford stepping up. And Trayvon, you know, I think both those guys, Trayvon and uh, Timmy, they've always been, you know, 
kind of maybe some go-to guys, but it was just sometimes they'd go quiet in games. But I don't think they either of them went quiet at that game at all. And, you know, you have just so much talent offensively, and I feel like those pieces are, start, you know, finally starting to come together. And then defensively, they'll, they'll come together eventually. But, um, you know, defensively, as hard as it is to watch, right? And I know there's a lot of a lot of people who are upset with how the defense is, but you look at players like Jeffrey Manning. You have Jeffrey Manning, who's a great safety, right? He, I think he made his third consecutive start or whatever that is, but he's making some big plays as a redshirt freshman. You have players like Willis who maybe aren't playing their best football right now, but Willis is still playing good football. Like, these guys... You know, I don't want to say they're trying because being a former player, that's the one thing you hate is, okay, but they're trying. They're trying, okay, they're trying to do good, but they're just not good. Whatever that is, I don't really like that saying at all, but we could just finally see, you know, there are sparks because the defense had great sparks in that, right? Defense had some times where they could have really taken that game over, but they didn't. And I get that. It just happens. And Washington State, they're a good team. They're well-coached, and they just responded to what Oregon State was throwing at them. But I'm just saying, I'm just trying to say is don't be so quick to turn away this Oregon State team because I feel like that's the, you know, that's the case. And I get it. If you're a bitter fan and you're, and you're tired of watching your team lose, you know, trust me, I'm a Bills fan. I already know how it goes. Like, the Bills suck. We suck. But I still watch because eventually they're going to be good. And – I don't want to say it's a whole, okay, eventually Oregon State's going to be good. But it's uh, Oregon State's going to be, you know, they they could have won that game. I expect them to at least, I think they could easily beat Cal. If they played like they played this last week, they could easily beat Cal. Because Cal is not very talented. But I think Oregon State, you know, I think that's a fair match with Oregon State and Cal is because Cal's not very talented. They have some good athletes. But Oregon State is just young with great athletes or good athletes. I'm not trying to have my orange and black glasses on either and be biased, but I just see Cal as a team that's, you know, they they don't pose a huge threat. And Oregon State can really, I feel like, expose them, especially in the run game. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see that. But, I you know, I just kind of wanted to get my thoughts on the game, and I thought it was a good game. Um, the coaching staff did well. Offense played extremely well. Defense had a little wrinkles like we – like we've seen so far in the season, but I think the defense will turn around eventually, I'm hoping. But um, we, so I'm going to try to break this podcast up into kind of sections and have uh, Amy on in this next segment. And then hopefully, um, if Adam will text me back eventually, <laughs> uh, Adam, I know you're going to listen to this later. Come on, man, text me back. But he'll join us later just to talk some recruiting. But um, I'm going to knock some damn questions out right now. Damn questions are brought to you by Body of Health Chiropractic and Wellness Center. Dr. Jason Young has been the chiropractor for Oregon State Athletics since 2011. Go to yourbodyofhealth.com for more information. So the first damn question I have is uh, it's, fr- it's from Beaver Recruiting, or Beaver Recruiting, excuse me, and it's asked, what is, was it justifiable for <clears throat> Coach Frost to block Oregon State from recruiting his most recent transfer, Greg Bell? No connection to our current coaching staff and we're not on their future schedule. Seems petty more than anything, and it's not in the player's interest. You know, <laughs> it was super funny when you tweeted that because I started laughing, but I think Coach Frost is just frustrated, to be honest with you, because you can't, like, he can't keep these guys. And I think the only connection that maybe, obviously, we can see is through Coach Riley. But 
Coach Riley recruits these guys. And I saw a tweet, and it was probably one of the smartest things I've ever seen and someone ever wrote because it made sense. Like, Coach Riley went there to Nebraska, obviously, as the head coach. He gets all these players to love him because, you know, it's hard not to like Coach Riley, maybe not as a, or as a player, but I don't know how fans feel, but at least as a player from perspective, I love Coach Riley. He's probably my favorite coach ever, but, you know, he makes all these connections with these players, and then obviously a new coaching staff comes in. They change the culture, whatever, however they want it. They want it to be their way. You know, if you can't adapt to it, then they're probably not going to show you as much love, you know, kind of examples. That's kind of why I felt like at Oregon State when I was there with Coach Anderson was just it was just different because I wasn't the guy he recruited. You know, he was still nice to me as a player, but, you know, you can kind of just you could tell who he, who he really likes and then players that, you know, are kind of just on his team. But um, so Coach Riley goes, makes all these connections and then leaves, comes to Oregon State. And so when guys are like, I don't like this new culture, I don't like however um, the coaching staff is wanting this program to be, I want to find somewhere else to play. Where, where else would I rather play than my old head coach? Okay, he's not a head coach anymore, but you could I could tell that his, stream, his team is struggling, right? I'm thinking about playing time. And so when you think about it as all these four-star guys that are four- and three-star guys showing up that are showing up thinking, okay, I'm, I want to play right away, but maybe they're not going to play right away, whatever the case is. But then you go to Oregon State, or they're thinking, okay, I can transfer Oregon State with my old head coach. I can transfer there. I can play right away. Um, and so I think Coach Frost is just <laughs> – I think he's just frustrated, man, because all these good players that he's losing are coming to Oregon State. And even though we're not playing against them or whatever it is and there's no connection, the only connection we can see is through Coach Riley. But Oregon State is – you know, the free agency this season or this, yeah, during the season, Oregon State's killing it. He's taking all these guys or Oregon State and Coach Smith are taking all these guys and really kind of they see the vision. They can see that Oregon State is on the rise and they're struggling right now, but they go there, get playing time right away, and then can be a force in the conference. Uh, another question. This is from Paul Aiken. I got it right again, my man. But uh, he has two questions. He says, will Jamar break the Pac-12 freshman rushing record? Um, and why can't we make a tackle? To <laughs> uh, start off with Jamar, I certainly think you will. I mean, the kid is an absolute animal. As we already know, he's been killing it all season long. Um, he has great vision. He, ha- he He's just a hardworking running back. You know, if you anytime you can get a talented guy who's willing to work hard, I really think that's kind of what separates people is, and Amy can talk about this on our next segment, but, you know, she was talking about how, he was he was texting Coach Petrie, who was the running back coach, saying, "Listen, man, like I want to get better. Like I know I'm I'm talented and I have this skill, but I want to get better because I want to end end up as the best, right? And when you see kind of a record like that, it's and especially when it's set by Lamichael James, right? You see those kind of things. I know for a fact if I came close to beating a rushing record, I would be putting in all sorts of extra work because not only is that is that a great accolade to have under your belt and you know you you're this talented running back who's going to break these records you know you're making noise in the conference but if he breaks that record it just shows that the offense has gotten so much better and it's just that much better because no no one man can do it on his own right it I think it's just improved it's improved play by the offensive line by the coaches by the coaches the scheming and everything like that but let's not take it away he's a great player but I certainly think he can break that record because he's determined to do it, and it's not a he thing, it's a we thing. And I think when he 
is looking at this record. This is just from maybe from what I'm looking at. Maybe it's not true. Maybe he is. I don't know. However, everyone else thinks, but I think it's a he sees this as okay. This is the next step, right? This is the next step to rebuild this program. These like he is a player you rebuild your program around. Like Ken Symington, I wasn't around for all that and everything like that, but I was told that Ken Symington was a big player or basically the main player to turn this program around or when Oregon State was struggling. And so now what happens? You pass it down to someone like Jamar, right? This is kind of this is a guy that you pass it down to to change the program. So I certainly think he, he smashes the record, maybe beats it by 200, 300 yards because he is going off right now. And the next question for my man, Paul, why can't we make a tackle? Unfortunately, I know it gets frustrating. I know it it frustrates me, too, when I'm up in the press box and you're not supposed to be biased. (laughs) But I'm sitting up in the press box during the games and when people or when players miss tackles, I'm like, damn, so-and-so, come on. Like like I'm still on the team. I know it's probably not professional. I probably shouldn't do it, but I still do it. But they're... They, I think they got a little better, and maybe you know, maybe you guys think I'm crazy for saying that, but they, the defense looked better. There was times that they, they really dominated. You know, there's a couple times that they had they forced Washington State to a three and out, and you know, it was not three and out, but you know, they didn't keep getting <laughs> basically. I don't want to say their ass beat, but that was kind of how it was. Like Oregon State fought back defensively. Like there's sometimes that the defense really, really owned. Washington State and I like that and I don't think we've seen that very often so when we did you know it kind of it kind of lifted me up a little bit I'm sitting in the press box and Amy can say this you know too and so can Angie when she's there but there's times I want to rip out my hair when I'm up in the press box and I'm not lying like there's times where I get so upset up there because right these guys like these guys are my old teammates so I'm always going to be biased but right I have no problem with calling them out when they when they're not playing good so the defense, it I know it eats you guys up and it eats me up too, like I said, but they're getting better. Like it's gonna, we're. Pro, I don't know if we'll see it this season. I'm just gonna be 100 percent realistic. There might be games where if Oregon State can win and we can get another Pac-12 or a Pac-12 win, it's gonna be maybe like a 47 to 41 win over whoever. But I, I think it's it's gonna take a lot longer than we think to improve the tackling because it's just development and really teaching them how to tackle because frankly when we were at you know when I was at Oregon State with coach Anderson we didn't really tackle in practice at all right and maybe it's the same thing everywhere but you see the great tackling teams and they tackle I want to say probably every day and maybe I'm wrong but I'm just saying from my point of view if you're a great tackling team it's because you tackle during practice and I know there's the injury risk and whatever but that's what makes you tough like we can't have this Okay, we can't tackle in practice because we don't want anyone to get hurt. Well, yeah, well, you're playing football. So if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt regardless. That's why you have tough guys. That's why that's how you make your guys tough. I know for a fact because I had some friends that played at University of Washington. They said they tackle every day in practice. And there's like obviously the Thursdays where you don't want to tackle right before, you know, a game in your prep. But those Mondays and Tuesdays and if you practice on Sundays, you need to tackle, even if it's not a lot, even if it's like a, a – one live period, but make sure that you tackle so your guys can really, I don't want to say know how to tackle because they should know how to tackle. They're division one athletes. It's like being a running back and not knowing how to jump cut, but you just have to, like you need to, you need to practice it. (laughs) You have to. And I'm sure coach Smith did because that's what coach 
Smith and Coach Tibizar said in last week's press conference, I think it was, or the week before that, they're focusing on tackling. So they're they're doing live tackling in practice. And so they're getting to it. It just takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. This next question is from William Schulten. I don't want to butcher your name, my man. So if I do, I am so sorry. But uh, he asked, which transfer makes the biggest impact for the Beavers next season? I don't, you know, I haven't really done a, a breakdown on every single transfer yet or whoever we've gotten, but <laughs> I'm just going to say anyone on defense who can make a play, anyone who can get a sack or anyone who can really is a playmaker on defense because I think that's what we're truly lacking is someone coming out there saying every play, I'm going to make a big play. And Oregon State has had those guys, you know, for example, maybe Jordan Poyer. Like Jordan Poyer was a great player. He came out and would always make these big plays even though he wasn't a transfer, but those are the kind of guys that I think these transfers can really be, right? You get some big-name guys from big-name colleges, and so hopefully they come in with the mentality like Jamar Jefferson has that he's gonna he's about to grind it out, and we're, I'm going to make big plays, and even though I'm talented, you know, I'm going to come in with this mentality that I'm not very good, so I need to get better, or I'm good, but I can be even better, and I want to make make it to the league, make that next step, but... Like I said, anyone, basically just to answer your question, my man, anyone who can make a play on defense. All right, this last question is from Sean T. Leahy. Let me know if I just butchered your name too, my man. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry if I do, but he asks, if we want to snag a dub on the home stretch of the rebuilding season, our defense has to improve. Did Saturday's performance affect your perception of the players versus coaches debate regarding who is more at fault? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I get it. Maybe you want to find a way to get more pressure on Washington State's quarterback, and it didn't look like we brought a crazy amount of pressure. So maybe that's the coach's fault, and maybe it's the player's fault because if they did, or if if Coach Tibizar or something did call something defensively, excuse me, he, you know, maybe it just didn't work because the players couldn't get to the QB. But you are right, my man. If we want to snag a win, the defense has to improve for sure because the offense, I think, is holding up their end of the deal. But now it's time for the defense to maybe get some takeaways or stuff like that. But um, I don't. I would say it's just a combination of both. You know, I wouldn't say it's one side or the other. And I can't remember if I said it was either the player's fault or the coach's fault. But you know, it's a combination of both. It's just that's kind of how rebuilding goes. Is um, the coaches have to understand who they have in their arsenal. The players have to understand what they have within their own arsenal as a player and you know how you're going to attack the guy if you get called on a blitz, right? So if Coach Tibizar does call the right scheme or he does call the right blitz, you know he can call everything he wants, but the players have to obviously make the play. The coaches, the coaches coach, the players play, right? And that's, as you or as we all know, that that's you know a true statement, but... If obviously if the coaches don't put someone in the right position to make a play, then the players can't make a play. But at the same time, if he does, then the players have to make the play. And it's just a combination of both. It's just, you know, like I was saying, the players play and the coaches coach. But I would just say it's both their faults that the defense isn't very good. We can't really pinpoint one or the other because you can make the argument for either side. So um, I wouldn't say Saturday's game really affected my outlook on it. Because I think both the you know both Coach Tibizar has some learning to do with this defense, and as well as the defensive players have to improve and develop defensively. But with the first, you know, it's the first season under his belt as a defense coordinator, at Oregon State, and so I understand that. I understand it. Maybe it's hard to really grasp of 
how can we attack a certain defense or how do we attack this or how do we attack that. I get that, so I'll put that on him. But at the same time, the players, what are they doing to take the next step in their game, right? The coaches can give you all, all the tools you need, but how are you going to use those tools and how are you going to use everything that you need to make plays and make those plays You know, come Saturdays when, when it really matters? So I don't know if that answered your question as well as you would want, my man. If I didn't, I apologize, but you know that's just my take on it. So that's it for this segment. Uh, on the next segment, we're going to bring on um, Amy Schwartz, our Beaver Blitz reporter. She's going to gonna give us her thoughts on the game and then talk a little bit about the story she wrote um, about Jamar Jefferson. Now joined with me is Amy Schwartz, our Beaver Blitz reporter. Amy, I know you were down at the game with me in Corvallis. Kind of give us your thoughts on how that game went, at least from your perspective, because I know th- from a player's perspective – it didn't really look that bad, and I kind of felt a little more confident in this team. So uh, just kind of give us your thoughts. Well, like you said, I don't think it looked that bad, except for, you know, the final minutes of the fourth quarter. They just kind of fall apart. But I was kind of shocked that they really were swinging for a swing and staying in it. And I think the offense had one of their best performances of the season so far. But then again, with the way the defense is right now, you know, you can only score so many points. You have to have your defense help carry the load as well. Right. there, It's not going to be a, you know, it can't be a shootout every time where it's, what, 50-something to 40-something because then it just, I mean, it's just not going to work realistically. The only time that really worked was with the University of Oregon, unfortunately, but that was back when they had the whole super extra offense and no one really cares. But, uh yeah, I would say, Amy, that because uh, we were sitting right by each other, the game was a good game. Like I was, you know, I was pretty surprised because as soon as they jumped or Washington State jumped out to that fourteen to nothing lead, yeah, I was, uh, I was not excited. You know, I kind of just felt like I was like, okay, here we go. Like, how are they going to respond? Mm-hmm. Are they going to respond? Because say this, you know, that happened last year, this team wouldn't have responded at all. They probably just would have gave up. Honestly, already down fourteen nothing with what two minutes off the clock if that and then mm-hmm. you know like just from what we've seen last year because I know you and I covered a lot of games together it was just it's a whole different feeling now because instead of putting their heads down and not wanting to you know not wanting to fight back and claw back they did and then they obviously tied it up and ended up being a really good game until you know like you said late in the fourth quarter but you know I uh, you know it's just different and you can I mean I'm sure you could say the same thing it just feels different yeah, it's like they actually want to compete and they actually want to do something. And I think that really showed versus Washington State that, okay, we want to be taken seriously now. And, you know, I feel like they're halfway there. They still need the players, obviously, and they need the defense to, you know, wake up and do something. But I think that they're fighting, and I think that's something, you know, that's admirable. Obviously, there's no participation trophies in our sport, and there shouldn't be, but... I think that they need to just continue to grow. And I think, honestly, when I saw players yesterday, they're all happy, they're walking around, they're excited to work. And I think that Washington State game really helped build some confidence in them. Yeah, it definitely did. They just look like, you know, and it was unfortunate because I would say Washington State is obviously the better team right now. But, you know, when mm-hmm. when the defense is playing pretty well, you know, and they the defense only realistically has to play average, but the offense was playing extremely well, and they were open up the playbook. They were taking chances, and I really like that. But you know, when it comes down to that, 
just imagine, right, if they had maybe one or two more guys who can make big plays on defense or one or two more guys who, you know, can make a big play on special teams or maybe offense. But those kind of players are coming with transfers and and recruits coming in. But it's just something positive to see because I know a lot of people were frustrated, especially because we felt like, okay, we've been through this before. Like, where is the change? It looks like the exact same thing, right? Like, maybe the scores aren't as Mm -hmm. bad, but people, you know, fans kept saying, okay, well, why can't, like, why can't we do this? Why can't the defense do that? And a good example that I like to use is Chris Peterson last, or his first season at Washington, when they lost to USC, it was kind of the same thing. And, you know, Oregon State, you know, they they would open the playbook. Was I mean, Washington, University of Washington, excuse me, was opening the playbook and they were doing everything right. They just didn't end up winning the game. And it's, you know, Coach Peterson sat down and he said, it's not that, you know, these guys were outplayed. Just USC is better than us, right? Like, USC mm-hmm. just has more talented players right now. And we just can't compete with that, you know, from a talent to talent level. Like, we're going to work as hard as we can. And I kind of think that's the same mentality that Jonathan Smith has brought is, you know, we're not going to, you know, if we don't win this game, it's because we're, they simply have better athletes. And we'll get there. And he said that. You know, he said, we'll get there. We'll get the athletes we need. We'll get everywhere, you know, where we need to be. But as of right now, you know, it's just we're building. We have to build confidence. You have to build trust. You have to build all those things with a player. Because I know, by, you know, from my point of view, if a coach just comes in and says we're going to win a bowl game right away and you know that you're not going to win a bowl game or you're not going to even <laughs> go to a bowl game, right, you're like, okay, he's kind of just, you know, he's kind of just – whatever trying to blow smoke and he doesn't even think Mm -hmm. that but I like coach I like that coach Smith is realistic and he's like listen he's selling guys on recruiting with you know if like we won't go to a bowl game this year but what's going to happen is that you're going to be a part of the of the turnaround right you're going to be part of the year that we do go to a bowl game and then we're going to you know it's going to be all this hype and all that but Amy, uh, I wanted to switch gears real quick. I know I, you know, I read a story. I think it was two days ago or yesterday. You wrote about Jamar Jefferson. It was a super good story, just talking about kind of how he ended up at Oregon State and all that. Um, usually with Angie, we don't really get to talk about stuff like that. So with Angie, just uh, throwing up the peace sign, saying later, you guys, I want to go on vacation. <laughs> uh, I just think it's a good time to have you kind of tell about. Uh, that story and kind of that experience that it was at least talking with uh, Jamar Jefferson. Yeah, so I wrote a story just about, you know, all the records he's breaking and the fact that he's becoming, slowly becoming one of the best true freshmen to ever play at Oregon State. But with the weird media rules for true freshmen, we're not allowed to talk about him. And, you know, I was sitting there, I have questions as a reporter about who this kid is. And, you know, you ask, we get to talk to him once or twice and he always defers to his offensive line or he defers to Connor, you know, making the plays and things like that. And so I decided to talk to his mom and then the guy who helped um, get him here. And then, you know, Michael Petrie and people like that. And it's just crazy that this kid, it's not a facade. He is humble. He's hardworking. And, you know, after he put up those huge numbers against Southern Utah, Apparently, he texted Michael Petrie that I want to be better. I want to practice better. I want to, you know, go through everything during the week better. And Petrie said that that's just kind of when it clicked that he knew this kid was going to be special here. See, Amy, and I, you know, I really like that you can, you got to reach out. And because I think a lot, uh, a big thing, which is I think how a lot of us, 
at least that watch the games feel is this kind of this kid kind of came out of nowhere. Like he was kind of a mm-hmm. a quieter recruit. We had him, and you know people were excited. I got to do a film breakdown on him, and I was like, this kid's gonna be good. And I remember telling Angie that, and mm-hmm. I said the only thing he needed to work on was his breakaway speed. But you and he and just like that, I know for a fact he read that because. <laughs> Because you look at him now, right, when unfortunately he had like a 78 or 75-yard touchdown run called back, but he was, you know, mm-hmm. against Washington State, but he was burning safeties, burning corners who had angles on him, right? But it was just his breakaway speed that got him away. He was breaking tackles, tumbling and stumbling through everybody and ended up with a 75-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, like I said, there was a holding, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's that kind of stuff that you could – if we could find players like that, like that's a rebuilding player, you know, and a lot of people say that Ken Symington mm-hmm. – was basically the player or one of the players, maybe the main player, to turn around the Oregon State program. I think we're finally, you know, we get to see a new version of Ken Simonton with Jamar Jefferson because what I like about him is that he's quiet, he's humble, he was, you know, maybe he was a big recruit, maybe he wasn't, but that being said, he's not coming into Oregon State saying, okay, guys, look at me, I'm here. So how we, you know, how are you guys going to, change everything for me he's coming in saying okay what do I need to do for you guys like how do I change this program how do I you know get better myself so I can maybe better someone else or something like that you know and I just I really liked just the whole story that you wrote because it was I just thought it was super cool that you got to talk to Jaquiz Rogers and I know I've seen a a little bit on uh, Twitter that it was kind of back and forth that him and Jaquiz were talking I don't know if you have Mm -hmm. any further information on that but you know, if you do, do you, I mean, if you don't mind sharing it, because I, I don't really know. I don't know if they've spoke or what, or if you know. Yeah, so I know that, I mean, I talked to Jaquiz like two and a half weeks ago about this, but at that point he goes, I'm watching every game, things like that, but I've never had a chance to meet Jamar yet, and I'm going to reach out to him. And so I know they've talked now and built that connection or whatever, but Jaquiz actually apparently, since he left, would connect with the running backs and try and help them or show them what he was seeing versus what they could see and things like that. And, you know, he talked about how he's going to come in the off season and really just wants time to be able to connect with Jermar. And he really realizes that his season was so different. His true freshman season where he broke out was so different than Jermar's. And, you know, I've never seen a player quite like that. He's in the record book just, gives so much credit and you know he just says he has to stay humble he has to stay hungry and keep competing but I know even Ken Simonton has just talked about how opposite their careers were but you know we need to appreciate what Jamar is doing because he's he's changing the running game here clearly right and you know there's not many people and by you know by experience that could really make AP have a run for his money in the starting spot. And, you know, you never want to take anything away from AP because, let's be real, AP had a phenomenal first couple games before he got hurt. But that's kind of the competition now that you see with Coach Smith is, okay, so we have guys, right? We have a guy like AP who's our basically our best player. But then all of a sudden we got a true freshman coming up, so what happens then? AP has to step up his game because if not, AP is going to get his spot taken. But I like, you know, it's just different because it's competitive – but at the same time, you know, any even and even when AP was out, right, you could tell AP's not a selfish player because, you know, we had people tweeting the whole time, you know, commentators talking, is this guy going to start over, you know, AP? 
And, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of just shrugged his shoulders. was like, hey, man, like, I'm I'm ready to fill whatever role I need to fill, right? If it's, you know, maybe Jamar getting 20 carries, me getting 15 or 10, I'll do that because he's done it before in his career. And he's still – and so far he's already – he's still had a great career, right? Even with an offense that wasn't really in sync and wasn't really working, we still got to see AP really break out. And so I just think it's, you know, going to be super good – for this team and for rebuilding to have a play uh, a player like AP with leadership and experience and then a player like Jamar who comes in, you know, workhorse, humble, and really just wants to win and put, I would say, the team over himself. And that's really interesting. But, Amy, I want to say thank you for at least joining this segment because, like I said, Angie kind of just peaced out and she was like, all right, Marcus, figure <laughs> it out. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do. But uh, I think it's really nice that you can come on and kind of give us – at least a perspective of what it's like trying to you know, at least trying to talk to Jamar or figure out kind of his background. But Amy, I want to say thank you. On this next segment, everybody, we are going to bring on Adam. He is our recruiting guy. I'm not a big recruiting guy, as everyone knows, but uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> All right, guys, this is our next segment. Uh, we have Adam Nicholson on, our Beaver recruiting analyst. He's going to talk a little bit about really everything when it comes to recruiting because. As most of you guys know, I don't know a thing about it. <laughs> so, um, Adam, what's up, my man? How about you uh, kind of just give us a lay down if you want to? Uh, this is kind of your segment, man. So kind of I don't know if you just want to go off. You want me to ask you some questions. But really just kind of give us an outlook, at least for the transfers to start off with, because I know a lot of people are interested in those guys. Definitely. Thank you, Marcus, for having me on. Um, so, yeah, let's jump right into it, talking about some of the transfers. Um, of course, you got the big three coming over from Nebraska and quarterback Tristan Gebbia, uh, inside linebacker Avery Roberts, and newly, um, I guess, in the registry, uh, wide receiver Tyjon Lindsay. Um, this is quite the trio um, coming from Nebraska. If you look back to their 2017 class, this is their three highest commits that they had coming over. Um, and then you also throw in outside linebacker Addison Gums, who's transferring in from Oklahoma. And this is a stacked foursome coming in that truly can turn around this program. Yeah, that's uh, it's always interesting because you just look at – I don't know if Oregon State – and maybe you would know, I don't. I don't know if Oregon State has ever kind of got these kind of – these kind of transfers to come in, especially four of them, like four legit guys coming in from, you know, a big time program, because obviously Oklahoma's always great. And then Nebraska always gets great recruits. So, you know, I just thought it was super interesting and it's a cool kind of pipeline that, that kind of worked out somehow, but you know, I don't know if you, have you heard anything about these guys and how they're doing in practice? Uh, well, if you look back to like the, uh, the scout team MVPs, I know Tristan's won one already. Uh, Avery's won, I do believe, two. And those are awards that are issued every week during practice, kind of the, the, the players who really push the starters into um, improving, getting them ready for the upcoming week's game. Um, so just looking at that, I mean, they're already brand new to the system and already excelling at just performing and really pushing the starters. Um, uh, Addison Guns isn't quite on campus yet. We're expecting him come winter term, I do believe, but he is enrolled and taking online courses. And Tyjon Lindsay last night, like one o'clock in the morning, was tweeting about how he's in Corvallis. So that's something else to look into. So I imagine he, once the announcement comes through, he'll probably start practicing them too. Right. And it's just, you know, I can't stress enough how great of a job Coach Smith has done already because. 
Right, I understand there's kind of like a pipeline with Coach Riley and these Nebraska players, but not you know, it's just not going where your old head coach is. And I kind of said this earlier in the podcast. It's going where, it's going somewhere where you truly think that you're not only going to you know excel, but the team is going to win because nobody wants to go somewhere where you think you're going to lose. Right, that's why you know I don't think Coach Anderson really got some crazy you know a crazy kind of transfer list like this. But, you know, oh, we definitely. got Luke Del Rio, but you know, he was kind of more of a transfer from Coach Riley, I think. At least I think he was. But, right, but you see these kind of four guys come in, you're like, wow, like all four of these guys can come in and make an impact next season. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, it's kind of a multifaceted thing with these transfers, especially the Nebraska trio, in that they were all extremely close in Nebraska. They had bought into Coach Riley's system. They had the relationships with the other coaches on the staff. Um, specifically for Avery Roberts, you know, his relationship with Coach uh, Bray was extremely close. And that was kind of the first domino when Avery decided to leave Nebraska and come over here. And then, of course, he started talking to Tristan, and Tristan lost out on the the, uh, the quarterback competition there um, in the spring and into the fall. And he felt that he really just didn't fit the system there in Nebraska and wasn't what uh, Coach Frost was looking for. So, he took, you know, reached out and ended up transferring over. And then he gets over here and basically falls in love with Corvallis. And then the next thing you know, he's talking to Tyjon, who's unhappy in Lincoln. And, hey, just come, come on, on over, over here. Yeah, Let's do something exactly. special, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then Addison, with Addison, you know, I think he's kind of a sleeper because, you know, he blew out his ACL, um, what, the Friday practice before Oklahoma's first game. Um, so, He's not quite on campus yet here in Corvallis, but this is a guy who had 23 sacks as a senior um, playing down in uh, Hayward, California. Uh, teammates with current freshman cornerback Deshaun Wilson down there. Um, this is a guy who continues to grow into his body. He's going to be a stud jackbacker in this defense. I mean, he excels at getting after the quarterback, and just he's, he's got all this natural ability. He just needs to be coached up a little bit. And, I mean, coached up, he's already good. If he were playing right now, he'd be starting at Oklahoma. If you coach him up some, this is a guy who's possibly a first-round talent. We'll see. And that's that's just, you know, and it's maybe not a lot of people truly believe that. But, right, if you start at Oklahoma as a linebacker, you, you more than likely have a pretty dang good chance of at least going into the draft, right, and being drafted. And so that's what not a lot of people understand. But like I was saying, uh, I keep referring to earlier in the podcast, is you want these kind of guys to come in, right? You see these transfers come in. And I said, you know, someone asked a question, what transfer is going to make really the biggest impact as soon as they come out or as they're able to play? And I really said anyone defensively who can make a statement because right now I think Oregon State has these – has these great athletes, but we're really lacking someone who will just take it upon themselves and be like, okay, well, I know this defense isn't very good, but I'm about to go make some big plays, or I'm going to be the reason why the defense is making big plays. Because we know the defense is struggling, and it's a lot of adjusting, and you know they haven't had the same defensive coordinator in forever for consecutive years or whatever, <laughs> but whatever the case is. But uh, I think you know when you bring these kind of players in, and they see this kind of vision, it just speaks volumes of what Coach Smith is doing because, like I said, nobody wants to come into a program that they think is going to be bad for their next couple seasons or, you know, really hinder their chances of going to the league, which is every college kid's, right, dream and goal. But 
you know, you get these kind of players to come in. You get these guys to buy into what you what you're doing. And when you get someone who can start a basically, <laughs> if they didn't get hurt, start at Oklahoma. You know, you're in pretty good shape. And I think any of these players are going to come in and make instant impacts. But you know, it's just a great thing to see that we can finally, you know, have something. And not, I shouldn't say finally, but we have something to look forward to, right? So we see that the defense is struggling, and it's just so frustrating. But then you're like, you can take a deep breath and be like, okay. And I'm not saying they're going to come in and, you know, the Red Seas are going to part. We're going to walk into a bowl game. But it just is refreshing because you're like, okay, we have talent coming in. So now it's just, it's on the coaches to develop them whenever they need to be developed or wherever they need to be developed. And it's also on these players that, okay, now I'm here. How am I going to take advantage of this opportunity? I completely agree. And I think um, not only that, kind of an underlying thing that's an additional benefit in this is that like in Addison Gomes, he's coming in with this winning mentality coming in from Oklahoma where losing is not accepted and he's going to will this defense to be better. Right. So if he can step right in and take over at outside linebacker, um, same can be said with uh, Tyjon Lindsay. I mean, yeah, Nebraska was kind of down, but this guy who played at Bishop Gorman, who's a perennial top five high school program in the nation. I think they won over a hundred games in a row or something like that over the last, uh, not the last season, but I think the two or three before. Um, so losing isn't really something he's used to. And then you look at Tristan Gebbia. This is a kid who threw for almost 5,500 yards and 61 touchdowns as a senior in high school. Throughout his high school career, he threw for over 13,000 yards and 140 touchdowns and also led his team to back-to-back CIS Southern Section titles. So you infuse this not only elite-level talent in here, but this winning mentality, it's really going to spur this team to turn it around that much quicker. Right, and we have someone you know on the offensive side who can, you know, who you kind of see as a building block with Jamar Jefferson for the future. And I know you have AP, you have Trayvon Bradford, you have these good guys, but when you get like, a, you know, I'm saying a freshman to come in and – you're like, okay, so I have talent right now, but you look, I have a building block to build off of for the next, you know, three years with Jamar Jefferson. But now you have these transfers come in, they lose a season, I, which, you know, it sucks, but these are kind of guys defensively that you can build around. And, you know, you have a, a quarterback transfer come in, so the competition just gets that much better. It's kind of just, it's a domino effect, right? And nobody wants to get mm-hmm. their spot taken, so everyone's level of play offensively and defensively is going to go up. And not only now you can see, especially as a you know as a former player, when I saw someone like AP come in, it made my game a lot better because I knew he was going to come in and be talented. So now Jamar's here, right? And now AP's game is going to have to step up to the next level defensively. You know, Hamika Rashid and Key Wetzel, Jonathan Willis, all these guys, Matthew Tago, their games have to step up because if not, their spots are going to get taken by transfers. So it, you know, like I said, it's a domino effect, and it's something that I don't think Oregon State has had with at least in the last four years of this really kind of competition that's going to step up and make everyone better and have these players come in who have this winning mentality. Most definitely. I completely agree with that uh, sentiment as well. And, you know, I think by adding these pieces, it's um, it really narrows down the focus that they're going to have on the rest of the re- uh, recruiting classes they move forward. Um, you know, right now, I got a pencil in as only needing – maybe seven more spots for this class in 2019. Um, and most of that's going to be up front on both sides of the line. I got us down for two O linemen and three D linemen. Um, you get some 
quality people who can come in, especially along that D line who can contribute. Um, maybe somebody who can occupy a double team and this is going to open up so many things for that defense. Uh, it's really kind of exciting to see this being built up from the ground up. And I, I don't think many people realize really kind of where coach Anderson left us, which I saw on Twitter was exactly a year ago. I think yesterday, yeah. <laughs> um, just kind of how far down it had fallen um, from when he had taken over. Um, so it's, 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 it's amazing to see this influx of talent that's come in and really what this coaching staff has been able to draw out of this, uh, roster so far exactly and you know i can't stress it enough adam my man i want to thank you so much for hopping on the podcast because angie obviously went on a vacation kind of left me out to dry i'm just kidding angie i know she'll probably hear this but uh yeah that was some great that you know i know a lot of people were just wondering about the transfers so that was some great stuff i want to thank you so much for hopping on the damn podcast um yeah anytime we need recruiting I don't know why I haven't, you know, why I haven't <laughs> had everyone jump on. Um, but I just want to thank you so much, my man. And uh, we look forward yeah. to having you on again. Hey, of course. One thing, food for thought um, regarding the transfers before I do get off here. We have that uh, class calculator here on 24-7 sports and beaterblitz.com. So you can actually flash back to the 2017 class, um, which had uh, Isaiah Hodgins and David Morris as your two top guys. When you take off Justin Saddlemeyer, um, Kessie Ahoy, Justin Gardner, and Craig Evans, the four guys who um, are no longer with the program, and you factor these four transfers. That puts Oregon State with the number 27 class for the 2017 class, recruiting class. Wow. Just two spots below where Nebraska was. So wow. who for thought <laughs> yeah. that influx of talent just from those four guys. Anyway, thank you, Marcus. I look forward to speaking with you again soon, man. And that will be it for the damn podcast. I want to thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I know that Angie was on vacation. I kind of had to piece it together, so it was a little late. So um, I want to apologize for that. But I just want to thank you guys so much for listening. I know Oregon State has a bye this week, but we will be back Monday to talk more Oregon State. And we are signing off of the damn podcast.